And we don't know why we're going to be resurrected, you know? And it was funny, I was, I, I, the Lord has been speaking to me about it over about the last two weeks. I shared it with Pastor Eddie day before yesterday. And then yesterday, everywhere I looked, somebody was saying something about it. It was like, Lord, is this a sign? So I want to talk about it a little bit. And you see the premise. I don't know, I hope you can read it. It's uh, Romans eight eleven. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. In other words, the spirit who raised Jesus from the dead. So Apostle Paul by the Holy Spirit is letting me know that Jesus didn't raise himself. It says another place in scripture that God raised Jesus, that the Father raised him. Okay, that's really important for what we're going to get into. But let's, let's look at it. This was a quote after, after I, the Lord had been speaking to me this for several days. And then a guy I actually know, and I'm not trying to incriminate anybody, but put this on social media. And it was interesting because all these people commented under it. Amen, 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 amen. And it got me thinking. It really got me thinking. And um, I wanted to, can you, is this in the way? Is this in the way? Yeah, is it better now? Okay, because it's got wires. I really don't want to too much moving on it but let's see i can lower it though i think oh might could let me see if i do like that i can yep there we go how about that better it's still in the way now and i probably don't even need this very much so i got tony i don't need it i'm good all right this is what it said death was proof that jesus was human Resurrection was proof that he is God. All right? And so it's, it's an interesting concept. Interesting concept. Death was proof Jesus was human. Resurrection proof that he is God. So our question is, is that correct? Is that correct? Now, the answer I could come up with just off immediately is, I think, yes. Definitely part one, because God can't die. Would you agree? So it definitely proved that Jesus came in the flesh, you know, that he, that he came as a human being. And I, the Bible says he was in the flesh, I don't know how many times, right? So is resurrection proof that he is God? Well, I would say, uh, just again, off the cuff, yes. And I'll give you some reasons why I would say that. Hosea 1.7, the Lord prophesied, I'll have mercy upon the house of Judah and save them by the Lord their God. So how do we get saved? Jesus, by the Lord our God. You know, so is Jesus God? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then and then in Zephaniah, the Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty. He will save. Who? The Lord will save. Thy God will save. How do he save? Jesus, right? So, uh, yeah, I would say just immediately off the cuff, sure. Say to them that are a fearful heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, even God with a recompense. God will come and save you. Isaiah 35, 4. God will come and save you. The name of Jesus. You know, interesting New Testament, right? Jesus coming from Latin. Joshua coming from Hebrew through Greek mean the same thing, really. You know, roughly. The Lord saves. The Lord will save, right? So, I mean, same thing. And the Lord their God shall save them, Zechariah prophesies. The Lord their God shall save them. See, God? Sure. Yeah. So, what's my beef then? What am I talking about? I want to ask you something. The premise is resurrection was proof that he is God. So, I would say what's the real question though? What are we really saying? What do they really mean when they say that? And... This is the question I came up with on pose to you because I, I know this person. I, feel, I know what they were saying. But the question is this. Is the person asking the question saying that resurrection proves Jesus is God by Scripture like I just did? Or is he or she saying that Jesus is resurrected because he is God? And only because he's God, and thus by the resurrection itself, we know he's God. 
That's interesting, isn't it? You think? Now, knowing the people and their comments and the things that were put on there, I'm suggesting most of the people that responded are of the opinion Jesus was resurrected because he is God. And I'm going to tell you, without being able to accurately predict a percentage, that 80-something percent of all evangelical, maybe 90 percent of all evangelical Christians believe that. They believe Jesus was resurrected because he is God. And I would like to talk with you about this tonight and, and ferret this out if we can. And my point is, I'd suggest it's the crux of most of the overemphasis in teaching the deity of Christ is that. Because they believe if Jesus wasn't God, then he couldn't be resurrected. And I believe that's why there's an overemphasis on the deity of Christ and that the importance of the humanity of Christ is downplayed and rarely ever taught. And it's a crime against the church because the churches of people that hear that kind of teaching really don't know who they are in Christ. They really don't know. And they also, by the way, don't know why the resurrection took place. And you say, well, is that really a big deal? Yeah, because that resurrection is their resurrection. <laughs> and if they don't know why that one took place, they don't know why theirs will. You see. So, the thing of it is that what I'm saying, Jesus' deity is overemphasized because of misunderstanding of the mystery of grace misunderstanding of the love of God and eternal life, how it comes to us. So this is what I'm suggesting tonight. I don't know, can y'all, is that enough you can see it? All right. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to understand that there's no benefit to believers if Jesus is resurrected because he's God. And most people believe that. That's, that's the most tightly held belief, is that because Jesus Christ is, a, is God, that's how he was able to be resurrected. But I'm telling you that if that's the case, there's no resurrection evidence for you. There's no resurrection evidence for you. Now, I'm saying that's taught and, over, and overemphasized because lack of the knowledge of the mystery of Christ, the anointed man, Christos, the anointed, right? And I want to start by mentioning the sign of Jonah, okay? And think about this with me, and, and we'll get into it a little bit more, but the sign of Jonah, this is what Jesus said in Matthew twelve forty. for as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, it, you know, roughly, He's just, he's just talking here. He's not giving specifics, okay? But as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, or the fish's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. All right? Here's the, here's the rub. The Pharisees said, if you're the Christ, show us a sign. We want to see a sign. He said, you're going to see no sign except the sign of Jonah. And then he explains this. Okay? So hear me on this for a second. What's he explaining? A, he's explaining that he's going to descend into hell, Hades, for three days. And when they see it, it'll be a sign. But what will be the culmination of the sign? What happened to Jonah after three days? That's right. He was resurrected. Because symbolically, he was dead to his ministry in the belly of the whale. Why, just, just, let's just carry it a little bit further and talk about it for a minute, if we can. Why was Jonah in the belly of the whale? Because of sin. He didn't yield to the command of God. He didn't go and do it. That's sin, folks. Anyway, he won't slice it, that's sin. So guess what? His sin led to death. He ended up in the belly of the whale. Sure, death. You ain't going to live through that. Even if he vomits you up, you're 600 feet under the water. Right? But guess what happened? Three days later, he's resurrected to life. Jesus is showing them a secret. The sign of Jonah should tell you something. Right? So we'll, we'll talk about that. Um, I want to go past it. 
Um, well, I tell you what, though. I might ought to. Hang on just a second. We'll do this. We talked about this. Point of the sign. After Jonah's time in the fish, he was resurrected. Why was Jonah in the fish dead? Because of sin. So, Jesus' resurrection is a sign to the children of God. All right. Now, having said that, consider the scripture. And this is the record that God has given to us eternal life. And this life is what? In his son. Bear in mind now, we're talking about eternal life. That we have eternal life given to us, and it's in his son. Now, here's another scripture. He that hath the son hath life. And I don't even need to read the rest of it, but I will. And he that hath not the son has not life. He that has the son has life. Okay, keep going. And then John writes, These things have I written unto you, the ones of you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. Now we're seeing a connection here. How do you get eternal life? According to the Holy Spirit through John. Believe on the name of the Son of God. If you believe on the name of the Son of God, you have eternal life. Right? Now, let's look at this next scripture, John 3, 16. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but what? Have everlasting or eternal life. Everlasting life. How do you get it? Believe in him. Right? John, you believe in the name of the Son of God, you know you have eternal life. That's really important. Now, look at these other scriptures. John 1, 12. But as many as received him, that is Christ, as many as received him, to them he gave power to become the sons of God, even to those that believe on his name. Are you seeing a connection here? If you believe in Christ, you get eternal life. And if you believe in Christ, you're called a what? Son of God. Right? These things are connected. The sons of God have eternal life. And for us to become sons of God, we have to believe in Christ. Does that make sense? So say that with me. The sons of God have eternal life. Amen. So if you are a son of God, if you believe in the name of Jesus Christ, then you have eternal life. Right? Okay. It seems simple, but it's going to be important in a minute. So eternal life is promised to the sons of God, and the sons of God are those who believe in or on his name. That is the name of Jesus. All right. Now, belief that Jesus was resurrected, and this is, it's in red because it's important to me. Believe that Jesus, or the belief that Jesus was resurrected from God. All right. Resurrected because he is God, I should say, is of the Antichrist. Now, that's strong. It's of the Antichrist and religion. And there's no room for it in the kingdom of God. And I want to say that because here's the thing. When you deal with teaching that involves Antichrist or religion and is not truly based, it's a problem. And you can't be nice about it. It has to be rooted out and cast away. Because it does nothing. But, and most religious people tend to say, well, you know, it, it, it's, it, they're just, it's, just, it's just harmless. You know, it's not really. No, anything that's of antichrist is very, very harmful to the kingdom of God. All right? So this is what I'm saying. These teachings are of the antichrist. This is why. Now think about antichrist for a minute. 1 John 4, 3. You must believe Jesus came in the flesh. You remember the litmus test for whether or not a spirit is of God? What's the litmus test? Is it, that, is it that you must believe in the deity of Jesus Christ? But that's the overemphasized teaching in the church, though. Come on, help me out here. Why are we overemphasizing the deity of Christ if the litmus test for what is true is believing he came in the flesh? Yeah. Any spirit that denies that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is antichrist. 
And any spirit that affirms that he came in the flesh is of God. And this is how you tell, right? So when we have people teaching and preaching, overemphasizing the deity of Christ and underemphasizing the truth of the flesh, what are we hearing? Antichrist and religion mixed in with our church. Any overemphasis on the deity of Christ is of Antichrist. It undermines, listen, this is important. Because it undermines the value of the humanity of Christ, the necessity of his flesh. And I, that's a, it's rare to have somebody actually teach that. The necessity of the flesh or the body or the fact that Jesus came as a man. It's very rare, unfortunately, but you know, funny, it's the actual test to prove that it came from the Spirit of God. Now, this is, this is where we get into what we're going to talk about. Religion and antichrist teach an exclusionary Christ. What does exclusionary mean? If I exclude you, what does that mean? It's not available to you. You're not eligible. Okay? So, if religion and antichrist teach an exclusionary Christ, what would that look like? Well... Teachings such as Jesus worked miracles because he's God. That's exclusionary. Jesus healed the sick because he's God. And this main one we're going to deal with tonight. Jesus is resurrected because he's God. Those are exclusionary. What does that mean? It's making the excuse that if Jesus healed, he did it because he's God. Where does that leave you? Not God. If Jesus worked miracles because he's God, where does that leave the church? Not God. If Jesus is resurrected because he's God, where does that leave the church? Not resurrected because they're not God. Can you hear me? An exclusionary gospel separates you from what you really are. That's why it's false. It's of the Antichrist, it's religious. But it denies the true power of the gospel. It separates you from who you are. Think about Romans 8, 29. Conformed to the image of Christ. To be conformed to the image of Christ. What does that mean? In every way to look like, represent, be like the image of Christ. That's not exclusionary, is it? We would call that inclusionary. You see, religion teaches an exclusionary Christ. God and the scripture is pointing us to being, it being inclusive. Does that make sense? That's why we got to have our guard up. And There are a ton of people that are under this, guys, that believe this. Ton, matter of fact, most, 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 most people believe this. It's what they're being taught. It's detrimental to the truth of the gospel. You cannot understand the truth of what God's trying to do if you believe an exclusionary gospel. You can't. Now, you know, the first point we would make is, well, Jesus Christ, Christos, means anointed. And you guys have been here, and so you know this, but people listening on the camera may not have heard this, you know. But think about this. If Jesus is God... And all these things he did because he was God, acting as God, in other words, fully God, right? Why do you need to be anointed? I mean, that's a simple question. If Jesus down here doing miracles as God, he don't need any kind of anointing. God ain't got to be anointed. You know who's got to be anointed? Men. Now, what's the litmus test to prove the Spirit is of God? It must confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh. Religion and Antichrist are teaching an exclusionary gospel. The true gospel is inclusionary. That Jesus came as a man. What does Paul teach us in 1 Corinthians 15? That Jesus came as what? The second man or the second Adam. The replacement for the failed first man. So he came as man. Right? Scripture all points to this truth. But religion and Antichrist pull that away from the people they exclude them from the good things of god 
And actually, it's Satan doing it through lack of knowledge. He's blocking people from their birthright, keeping them at arm's length. Yes, Jesus did these things, but you're not, you're not God. You can't have this. You're not God. Even though the Bible's saying we're created in the image of God. We're created to be conformed to the image, not just created in the image of God, but we've been redeemed to be conformed to the image of Christ. The Bible also says we have the mind of Christ. That's not exclusionary, is it? That's inclusionary. Paul said, and ye have the mind of Christ. Again, not exclusionary. If we have the fullness of the knowledge Jesus operated in, that means he, his knowledge base was not coming because he was God, was it? It was coming because he came in the flesh and he studied the Old Testament scriptures and the Holy Spirit anointed him with an understanding of what that meant. Amen? It's called grace. It's called an anointing. The same reason any preacher can preach. Not because they completed a study course. Honestly. Because God infuses with something from heaven that gives you the word that he wants you to take to people if he's called you. There's nothing wrong with studying. Paul, Paul told Timothy, study. Study, show yourself approved. Not to men, though. Unto God. If you read that verse, it's very clear. Study, show yourself approved unto God. Unto God. Unto God. If you're approved unto God, what does that mean? That means he'll attest your ministry because it'll work. It'll produce fruit. There's a difference in fruit and a, and a piece of paper on the wall, folks. Fruit bandages lives. Fruit helps people. You understand the difference, right? Huge difference. Got to get that out. Got to get that out. All right, so Jesus anointed by God, Acts 10.38 says, How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. God anointed Jesus. Therefore, Jesus did not come here to minister as God because God anointed Jesus. God anointed Jesus. Amen. Right. Jesus worked miracles. He delivered from demons and he healed the sick because these gifts were part of the original blessing outside of the curse. Think about it. Was anybody sick in the Garden of Eden? Anybody demon possessed? No, none of that stuff. They weren't broke, were they? They were all saved, right? None of them going to hell. So that was the original blessing. That was the original life, eternal life, that people had, right? Before there was death, we would call that eternal life. That was the original thing they walked in. Amen. The blessing to Abraham then was the return to that. I'm going to read about that in Galatians 3, 13 and 14, 16 and 17, all day long. Jesus Christ, what, became a curse for us. He bore the curse for us so that we wouldn't be under the curse, so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon us, is what it says. And it also says that Jesus is the seed of Abraham that the blessing applied to. Amen. Now, think about this. If Jesus worked miracles, and he well, let's just say miracles, and healed the sick. I heard somebody say it this week. Well, Jesus said, well, heal the sick because he was God. Well, how did Paul heal the sick? How did Peter heal? The sick? How does Lee Robert? How's Lee Roberts healed the sick? God's healed a lot of people through me over the years. How is all these other people that have laid hands on people and they got? How do they do it? <laughs> how does Stephen, who is a deacon, not an apostle? How about Philip, who is an evangelist, not an apostle, heal the sick? Right. How did all the believers, all the believers in the, in the Galatian churches had experienced miracles? You know that Paul said, who works these miracles among you? Did these miracles come by the working of the Spirit by faith or by the law? So see, they had all seen miracles. They were used to miracles. The ch miracles belong to the church, folks. But Satan has come in through Antichrist and through religion, actually inside the church, and excluded everybody through an exclusionary gospel. Well, Jesus worked miracles because he was God, so you stay over there where you belong. You understand? Yeah, denying the power, a form of religion that denies the power. Exactly. It's Antichrist in the biggest churches in America. It's antichrist and religion in the biggest denominations in the world. That's exactly what it is. 
And it's time to quit being nice about it and call it out for what it is and destroy it. Somebody needs to stomp it down. Why? Because people are dying without the truth. People are sick that can be healed. People are demon-possessed, and the demon's supposed to get lost, and they, they're ruining their lives. Their kids are not having a mother or father or whatever it is. It's really life and death, and we sit here and go eat ice cream and say, well, isn't life great? It's really going on day in and day out right here in Thompson. People addicted to meth, addicted to all kind of things. Their lives are being destroyed right now. And the church doesn't know. Well, we can't do anything about that. Jesus did those things because he was God. We're excluded from that. Exactly what Satan would want the church to think. That we're not created in the image of Christ. To be conformed to the image of Christ. That he was special. And that we're excluded. But the true gospel says we're included. Now, you know, it's interesting talking about healing. She's talking about healing. Just healing and miracles. Because, I, like I said, I heard somebody say this week, well, you know, Jesus healed because he was God. What's well, interesting, because 1 Corinthians 12, the Apostle Paul says that gifts of healing were given to the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 9 says that gifts of healing, it's either 12, 9, 10, or 11, says that gifts of healing were given to the church. So what does that mean? That means that it's either true that the gospel is exclusionary or what I'm telling you is true and the gospel is inclusionary and Christ came as a man and he was anointed with the same anointing that's on the church and the way he was able to heal was through the gifts of healing, the same thing that are listed in 1 Corinthians 12. Now that's kind of interesting, isn't it? Because if that's true, that means the church should be healing. And if that's true, that means that Ezekiel 34, when God got mad at the shepherds and said, you've not healed the sick, that lines up with all the scripture, doesn't it? Let me ask you a question. Have you ever considered this in terms of healing? When Jesus sent out the 70, when he sent them out, you know what he told them? I mean, have you ever considered this? Jesus got 70 people to go out before him to prepare and preach. So when he came, the people would be ready. You know why? Because the people needed some word in them so they could believe. Otherwise, it'd be like his hometown. He'd get there, nobody would have any faith, and he couldn't do any major works. So he set about to get some people that were filled with the Spirit and send them forth first to preach. Messiah is coming. These are the promises of Messiah. When he gets here, if you believe, and he, and he, it'll happen for you. Just like the lady with the issue of blood. She believed and it happened for right so what do you think they're out doing the same things we ought to be out doing before these services take place preparing people if you believe you come in you're gonna get healed you'll be delivered the gospel will change your life see this this is messages have not gotten out to the church we haven't made disciples we've played church for 2,000 years a lot of times right I mean really if we're gonna be honest this is what's been happening and Antichrist is snuck into the church. And the shepherds, they were busy doing something. I know not what. Because they weren't looking for him. <laughs> Are we going to just tell the truth? He's in the church. He's not outside it. The exclusionary gospel is being preached from the largest churches, some of them. He's sitting right there by the preacher telling them what to say. And it ain't God saying it. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to read this to you. I want you to hear it from the horse's mouth, as it were. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one. Of who? The church. You know what a manifestation is? It's not an invisible thing. What's a manifestation of healing? Manifestation of healing is not, oh, isn't that sweet? She was healed in her, in her heart. Because that's invisible. A manifestation is visible to the eye. A manifestation is leprosy, gone. That's a manifestation of the gift of healing. A back, totally healed and there's no pain and they can do like this now. Those are manifestations. And very interestingly, Apostle Paul said, the manifestation of the Spirit is given to everyone. Given to everyone. <laughs> For to one is given word of wisdom through the same Spirit. To another, word of knowledge. To another, through the same spirit. To another, faith. And it doesn't just mean regular faith. It means faith to believe for big things like building an ark. 
See, the gifts of the Spirit have always been and belong to God's people. It's just nobody's teaching this to the church, so they have no clue what Jesus operated in. They have no clue. They think, well, you know, Jesus did all this stuff because he's God. No, Jesus did all these things because he was a man that walked with God. Like Enoch, who walked with God so closely, God was pleased and he never died. God took him up. Isn't that something? Now, that's rare, but it's happened. And it proves what? That it's not exclusionary. That it should be inclusionary. Now, listen to this one. (laughs) Verse 10. To another person, remember we're talking about people in the church. To another is given the working of miracles. This is New Testament scripture. This is not Elijah's stuff. This is the blessing to Abraham come through the seed Jesus Christ on the church. The gifts of the Spirit. Miracles. The working of miracles. Here's another one. It's kind of interesting. Well, look at verse 9. <laughs> to another, gifts of healings. So to the one who says, well, you know, Jesus healed because he was God. Well, what if he healed by the Holy Spirit, by the gift given to the church? As a matter of fact, it says the gifts of the Spirit came through Christ by the Holy Spirit, right? So what if we got it because it was given to him for the church? And what if the church works in the same gifting he had? Oh! <gasps> That sounds just like the Bible now. We're starting to sound like Scripture now. We're starting to teach an inclusionary gospel where the church is created in the image of Christ. Imagine that. Romans 8, 29, actually happening. Instead of us excluding people on the basis of them not being God, we're including them on the basis of what? Their sonship with God. The same reason Jesus received his blessing. Because he was the son of God. Wow. (laughs) Isn't that something? So miracles and healing were given to the church. There's no reason ever for anybody, and no evidence either, by the way. You can't come up with one single infinitesimal shred of evidence that Jesus ever ministered as God. Because Jesus never said he did. And his word is truth. Every time somebody questioned him, he said, I'm the son of God. I'm the son of man. The son of God cometh for this reason. The son of man has authority to do this. He never said, I'm God, brother. I can do what I want. Never once, not ever. But I did a study on it one time. He called himself the son of God and the son of man. I don't know how many times. I cannot remember, but it's a lot. So what was he trying to convey? Because his words are life. You know, you know, that's what he said, right? My words are spirit and they are life. In other words, his words give eternal life, right? His words. And what did he say? He said, I'm the son of God. That's what he said. Now the Pharisees in John 10 accused him of saying he was God. You know why the Pharisees did that? Because the Pharisees were the other the uh, earlier iteration of antichrist think about it that's who they were they were other iteration of religion and antichrist they were a shade of the gospel but no power what jesus say he says y'all are wrong and you're gonna be judged and burned that's what he told them and not in so many words that's what he told them you know what he said he said because you have the you have the, the words of truth and you never you neither enter in yourself not only that but you block others from entering in That's the same thing he'd be saying about these churches and these people preaching an exclusionary gospel instead of the truth. Not only do they not enter in, they don't do the works of power that prove and give glory to God and understand what's what, but they block others. It's the same thing. That thing's got to be stamped out. It's got to be stamped out. Now, here's another interesting point. Because we dealt with like miracles, we dealt with deliverance and all those things. Because you remember, it says in several places, like John 14, 12, he says, they were talking about the great works he did. And he said, hey, look. He said, even greater works will you do if you believe in my name, if I go to the Father, right? Greater works. So again, there's nothing. Jesus is not being exclusionary. He's not saying, well, those things are for me because I'm God. What's he saying? Hey, I'm giving you the kingdom. Anything I have is yours. It belongs to the church. 
What I have belongs to the church, right? That's inclusionary. Now, that deals with miracles and healings, but, you know, there's also the offices of the church, right? And people say, well, you know, Jesus was able to do this and that because he's God. Well, let's think about that. What does the Bible say about Jesus? The Bible says that Jesus ministered through the same five ministry gifts that the church has today. Do you know that? That's exactly what it says. Look at this. Consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our faith. Hebrews 3.1. Jesus was the apostle of our faith. Now, that sounds like one of the offices given to the church, doesn't it? You know why it was given to the church? Because it first belonged to Christ. It's not exclusionary, folks. It's inclusionary. <laughs> prophet. Let's talk about prophet. Jesus said of himself, a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown. He's talking about himself when he went to his hometown. And nobody would believe who he was and he couldn't do many mighty works at all, right? So what did he say? I'm a prophet. Now that's funny. That's the second of the five ministry gifts that are given to the church in Ephesians 4.11. Prophet. So now we know Jesus moved as a prophet. He moved as an apostle. What about the rest of them? Mark 3, and there are others, by the way. It's just some I put together real quick. Mark 9.35. Jesus went through all the towns and villages teaching in their synagogues. And what they call him? Rabbi. Teacher. And what's one of the gifts that's given in Ephesians 4.11 to the church? Teacher. What's another one? Evangelist. And what does evangelizo mean? It means to proclaim. This is what it means. And look, here we have Jesus proclaiming the good news. And what does an evangelist do? He goes and proclaims the good news of the salvation of Jesus Christ. So Jesus was an evangelist also. So four out of the five offices that Jesus supposedly was able to do because he's God are the same things that the church is supposed to do and have been given to us. That's not exclusionary. That's inclusionary. Well, what about shepherd, pastor, poiman? Poiman, Greek, means shepherd, right? And what did Jesus say in John 10, 11? I'm the good shepherd. Jesus is a pastor. Now, that is so unusual, isn't it? It's not exclusionary at all. You can't do these things. I did these things because I'm God. No, it's these things are for you. These things that belong to the church, right? So scripture does give this evidence of an inclusionary Christ. Now, this is interesting. Scripture teaches Christ as the template for the church. You know, Romans 8, 29, conform to the image of the Son of God. In other words, if, 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 if this pillow is the template, everything that's made in the image of this pillow should be what? Just like it. Soft, fluffy, about this size, this color, right? About this weight, conform to the image, right? And... I think we can honestly say, useful for putting your head on. Because that's the function of it, right? Amen? So, if we are created in the image, conform to the image of the Son as the church, is that exclusionary or inclusionary? Yeah. You know, talking about conform to the image of the Son. That's just one of the many scriptures. I pulled this one up real quick too. This is Ephesians 4.13. Till we all come to the measure of the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now you're going to tell me that he did all these things because he's God and yet God had somebody write in the Bible that the church is supposed to meet up with the measure of of the fullness of the stature of Christ. We're supposed to meet the exact full specifications of the greatness of Christ. That, my friends, is very inclusionary. <laughs> That's very inclusionary. Well, you know, Scripture clearly depicts an inclusionary Christ. So let me tell you what that means. If everything else is, the resurrection must be too. Because it's not out there on its own. 
You know what I'm saying? Thus, Christ was not resurrected because he's God. I'm saying that. He's not resurrected because he's God. He was resurrected because he is a son of God. And I say that just as all the sons of God will be. So before I go any further, think about this with me for a second. Well, let's finish. We will finish it. Therefore, if Christ was resurrected because he's the son of God, because he's son of, because he is God, excuse me, if he's resurrected because he's God, there's nothing. There's no sign, no proof for the believer. And this is what we started with, right? So here's the thing. If it's an exclusionary gospel and Jesus is resurrected because he's God and you're not God, then what's the evidence you'll be resurrected? And yet, do you, do you, are you with me? You understand the largest denominations in America teach that. They're teaching their people there's no evidence of their resurrection. They're talking them out of the evidence of their resurrection because they don't understand the mystery of Christ. Their people have no basis. They have no sign of Jonah. They have no sign. Because Jesus was, because Jonah was coughed up because he's God. And if Jonah was coughed up out of the well because he's God and you're not God, you have no, resu- you have no resurrection. Right. You have no resurrection. However, if Christ is resurrected by, resurrected by the merit of being a son of God through eternal life, then all sons of God share in the same hope. That's inclusionary, isn't it? It's not exclusionary. Because we are all sons. Remember what we read? In John 1, what does it say? To all who believed, he gave the rights to become what? Sons of God. And we went through this and we said, and the sons of God have what? Eternal life. And you agree, right? We went through that. They're sons of God if they believe in Jesus. And all sons of God have what? Eternal life. So why was Jesus resurrected? Was he resurrected because he's God? No, he was resurrected because he had eternal life, folks. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. That means he had the same new birth that every other believer took took part in. He's the first. If I'm the first and you guys all follow me, do you think the same thing happens to everybody else? That's inclusionary, isn't it? If he's the firstborn of many brethren, huh? that's inclusionary. So you know what that means? Jesus in his life was sinless. You agree with that? But I'm going to tell you, Jesus did not die a righteous death, even though he was sinless. He died the death of a cursed man because my sin was placed on him. And that's what sometimes people miss in the mystery of Christ. They say, well, he was sinless. He could, yeah, he was in his self. And he was also a son of God in himself, which means eternal life was his. Amen? He can't undo that. Y'all know what eternal means, right? Everlasting? <laughs> yeah. All right. So here's the thing. Jesus on the cross, he looks at the Father and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now that's a direct quote out of Psalms, by the way. And if you ever read that, and you hear people say sometimes, I know you can't prove God, but stop them right there and go to Psalm 16, I think it is, and read them that chapter. Because there are at least five prophecies right there that are all fulfilled on the day of Jesus' death on the cross. And they were written somewhere around 800 years before he was ever even born. And you're not going to ever find another human being that has that many prophecies fulfilled in one day. They were written 800 years and authorized, <laughs> written, sealed in books that are known to be trustworthy. Amen? So there's no doubt Jesus is Christ. There's no doubt he is the one God sent to save the world. There is no doubt. Muhammad has no prophecies. He has no prophecies. You don't even have one. Nothing. You're with me, right? All right. This is some of the inclusionary language we we find in Scripture. To Jesus. Okay? Okay? And this is out of Psalm 2-7. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, 
This is Jesus. It's David prophesying Jesus. Okay? And this is what Jesus said. You are my son. Today I have become your father. So if God's proclaiming to Jesus, you're my son, what does that mean? He's a son of, which means he has, what do we say? Sons of God have eternal life. Sons of God have eternal life, right? Every scripture we read, both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, Jesus and us, all have one Father. For this reason, he's not ashamed to call us brethren, one family. That's not exclusionary, is it? We all have one father. And guess what? We share in the same birthright. And this is what the next one I think says. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, children of God. How do you become a son of God? John 1, 12, what did it say? For all those who believed in Jesus, he gave the right to become sons of God, right? So if you believe in Jesus, you're a son of God. Now, if we are children or sons, then we are heirs. So that means the sons of God are all heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Is that exclusionary or inclusionary? Very much so. If indeed we share in his sufferings. In other words, if you won't, if you won't continue to confess Christ, you got an issue. We got to do that. And we teach that too, right? All right. So Jesus was resurrected because of eternal life. Now, this is where it actually says in the Bible is Hebrews 7. And it says, Jesus, one who has become a priest, not by a law of succession. The law said, the Levitical priest became priest how? Because of family line. Their natural heritage was of Levi, the tribe of Levi. But there was a priesthood that existed before that was the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek priesthood, it says nobody knew his family line or where he came from or where his anointing came from. You see, that's how it is with all the sons of God, everybody in this room. Nobody knows at what point how you changed and how the sin was washed away and how the anointing came in your life because Jesus taught us in John 3 something that Nicodemus couldn't figure out, right? Nicodemus said, we know you're a prophet of God because nobody can do these things unless God's with him. And Jesus stopped and he said, Nicodemus, let me explain to you how this works. The wind blows and you don't know where it comes from. You remember this? This is what he told him. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going, but you do see it move the trees. He said, this is how it works in the kingdom of God. See, I don't know at what point Chuck got saved, but if I, don't, if I judge things by the natural, and I, let's say I, I didn't, but if I knew him in high school, and let's say he was more like me in high school and didn't, didn't do right, I might still try to judge him from the old but that's Nicodemus because Nicodemus doesn't understand you can't see what happens it comes like the wind you don't know where it comes from you don't know how it gets there and what God does all you can do is look at what happens when it produces fruit in the person when it blows through the trees right and Nicodemus was like I don't get all this and he said how can I tell you heavenly things if you can't even understand how the spirit moves on the earth and really, this is how we are in a lot of our churches. How, how can we teach them about the things of the Spirit when they don't really even understand what resurrection's about? You know? How could we? They don't want to hear it, by the way. They don't even want to know that. Most, I mean, just to be honest. <laughs> so I'm not, you know. But this is what's said of Jesus. He's become a priest not by a law of succession, but look, by the power of an indestructible life akatalutos indestructible akatalutos indissoluble indestructible endless what does that mean eternal life also known in the bible too as everlasting life why was jesus resurrected because of everlasting life he was not resurrected because he's God. He was resurrected because he's the son of God and everlasting life belonged to him. So when he had paid the debt for the sins of man, 
The grave could not hold him. He yielded himself to pay that debt. He did it himself. Nobody forced him to. Jesus agreed out of his great love to pay my debt. But it was never going to hold him. And it's not because he's God. It's because of the power of an indestructible life. Amen? Now think about that for a minute. Going back, yeah, going back, exactly. Going back to the original question. If Jesus resurrected because he's God, I'm in trouble because I'm not God. But if Jesus is resurrected because of everlasting life, because he's a son of God, and that means my resurrection is assured and the sign of Jonah applies to me. Because if he was resurrected because of eternal life, then it's a guarantee I'll be resurrected because I'm a son of God and I have eternal life. Amen? That's why people have to get this right. We have to get these things right because people have no guarantee of resurrection unless they understand that Jesus' resurrection guarantees mine. If I'm thinking in exclusionary terms and I say, yes, the power of God, God raised Jesus because he's God. And I guarantee it's what these people are doing. They're going, yes, God triumphed. Yeah, but it doesn't mean anything for you. But if they could say, even with the sin of the world on Jesus, he died, but the grave itself could not hold him because of the promise to the sons of God of eternal life. That after he paid the sin debt for all mankind, he defeated death, hell, and the grave and was raised according to the promise of God. That's something to get excited about. And that's something to place your faith in. 